Angry Man Yells at Cloud. Drop the intro. Hello and welcome to the Albion Obsessed podcast. You join us on the back of a tough defeat at home to Everton. Yes, we're going to dissect this defeat for you. Um, and apologies now if it brings back some traumatic memories. However, before we get into it, let's see who we've got on the pod to share the misery tonight. We welcome Joe. Joe, my friend, how are you? I mean, we've just started the podcast with smiles on our faces. Um, that just goes to show how resilient we are. Um, I'm all right, Tom. Um, I've had a bit of bit of a mental battering over the last 24 hours, and I'm sure a lot of Brighton fans have. Um, but we'll we'll delve into that. These podcasts for me are a therapy session. So join us on our therapy session, and let's let's hope we can help you at home feel better as well. But yeah, all good, Tom. How are you? I am very warm. My house is full of fans and dehumidifiers because, listeners and viewers, we've had a bit of a disaster at the uh, exiled seagull house. Uh, but I won't bore you with the details. But what I will say is there was a big leak from next door. It got bad. And our house downstairs is like just got loads of machines trying to dry it out. And that just generates a lot of heat. So it's just warm. Um, but thank you for asking, Joe. You're right. This will be a cathartic session. We are going to put the world to rights, as they say. And who better to join us on this venture than Dagan? Dagan, my friend, how are you? I'm doing just fine. Can't get too high after a win. Can't get too low after a loss. And uh, just trying to maintain. There is still hope. And I will. I will live in that space. What a space to live in. And what a, a mantra to uh, to keep not too high after a win, not too low after a loss. I wish more people could be like you, Dagan, myself included. Um, so... Even cataclysmic ones. <laughs> um, all right. Let's talk about this thing, guys, because we're going to have to do it. It's our, well, it's our job. It's our, it's, our, it's our duty to discuss uh, what we saw last night. And let's start with the starting 11, shall we? Um, it is no secret, Joe, that there's a lot of fatigue uh, within the squad and we're starting to see it bite now. Um, let's talk about the 11 then. Gross and Undav came back in as Billy Gilmore and Julio Enciso dropped to the bench. Um, what did you make of the starting 11? Um, at the time, thought it was the right one. Uh, he started Welbeck and Undav up front against Wolves. Um, and I thought, you know what, we're going to do exactly what we've <laughs> done to Wolves and it will be great. And, we, you know, the Zerbi's really going for this. Um, it's not how it turned out, is it? Uh, I was shocked to not see Solly March uh, back in the starting lineup. Um, although the Zerbi has said uh, before the game that he wasn't in his best moment fitness-wise. We'll obviously get on to what happened fitness-wise towards the end of the game, which is heartbreaking. Um so yeah, and it's it's really hard to talk about the starting eleven after what's happened. <laughs> um, because you know, as I say, at the time, yeah, I thought it was the right the right call. But uh so, as soon as that uh, first whistle went, it was a disaster. <laughs> it certainly was. And we'll get on to what a disaster it was in just a moment. But before we do, Dagan, one of the players that I was slightly 
surprise to see drop to the bench uh, was Billy Gilmore because one player that did very, very well in that game against Wolves and really did keep us ticking over in the middle was Billy Gilmore. Do you think, again, that was just about rotating tired legs in and out of the squad to keep us as fresh as possible for our very congested running? I think that's plausible. Um, I think Desiree may have thought this particular matchup wasn't a great one for Gilmore. Um, he didn't He didn't sparkle, especially when he came on. He was good. He was solid. Um, I think the case for Gilmore this game would be you needed Caicedo at right back. That, that to me, would have been the decision that would have kept Gilmore in the starting lineup um, because I think Alexis was needed deeper. Um, yeah, that's me. Uh, the, the only move I would replay, well, maybe I would have liked to see Enciso uh, in the 11. But, again, he probably needed a rest. He's, he's 19, we forget. Um, Ferguson was right where I thought he would be. I didn't expect he would start, though he was fit, and he looked tremendously fit. Um, Man, he looked like he was shot out of a cannon several times. But anyway, uh, Gilmore, yeah, I wasn't disheartened by that. I, I, but you and I maybe differ on on Gilmore. No, I think it was just uh, what Gilmore, I believe Gil, Billy Gilmore gives us is a great range of passing. I'm not saying that the other players don't do that. And I think yeah. um, as, the, as Joe suggests, it was a very similar setup to Wolves. Um, but the thing, as I say, that really kept us ticking in walls, in my opinion, was uh, young Billy Gilmore. But you're right. You know, you look at that 11 and you think, you know, that's a strong 11. It's about as strong as we can go at the moment, really, bar one or two um, due to injuries. Uh, with Pascal Gross obviously coming back in at the uh, right back role where he's played so very well uh, recently. Um, but, well, anyone who's followed Brian for a while... Um, we'll sort of think, well, after the dismantling of Wolves, um, beating Manchester United with a last-minute penalty, um, we've, uh, we welcomed Everton, who hadn't won in seven, the lowest scorers in the division. So, um, yeah, what, what could possibly go wrong? Oh, and it was uh, on a Monday night in front of the television cameras. So, you know, a recipe for disaster. Um, and Joe, it, it didn't even take 35 seconds um, for Brighton to make the worst possible start. Um, I knew that we were going to be in for a tough night of Sean Deitch. Uh, apologies for the swearing. Shithousery. Um, I knew we were going to be in for a long night of it, but I didn't expect it to start after 35 seconds. Uh, I think someone made the point to me um, before the game that they came out against Leicester all guns blazing. and They started really well, started really... Um, exactly how they started against us. To be honest, I don't think they scored that early on, um, but they started really quickly, um, and that probably shocked us massively. We were probably expecting them to come out, have a low block, you know, let us come at them, and then boom, hit us on the counter attack, which you know they did do. But from the off, they just completely and utterly bullied us in every single position physically it was probably looking at it was probably one of the biggest mismatches going um and you you haven't said it yet but we today we're not going to sort of go through it as like a chronological order sort of thing um so i'll sort of get into sort of my thoughts on the physicality side of things because we were lumping long balls up to dennis undav and danny welbeck uh, Danny's not the smallest of of lads, 
but he was up against Yeri Mina, who's what six foot eight, something crazy like that, six foot six, and James Tarkovsky. Everton's side are huge. Like I was watching us line up at corners, and every single time I was thinking, it's not going to go anywhere, considering our record at corners anyway. And we're just lumping these balls into the box because Everton aren't really giving us the chance to play the football that we know we can play. And I'm thinking, why on earth aren't we just keeping it on the floor? Um, Because there were a few moments where we did keep it on the floor. We span in behind and we we had a chance. Um, And from the first moments, I just knew that physically we were going to get completely out-muscled, outran, out-everything. Because Everton was so, so, so up for it. And as much as people maybe don't like Sean Dyche football, you have to give it credit where credit's due because they've come to the Amex, they've utilised their game plan, they've utilised every single strength they possibly have. And (laughs) the stats are they had 22% possession at the end of the game and they scored five goals, they had five shots on target. They've utilised their game plan majestically well. Um, and if you're an Everton fan, yeah, it's probably not the, the prettiest football to watch. But my God, when you're scoring five goals at the Amex against a team that are fighting for Europe, one hell of a scalp to grab, considering we're just beating Man United 1-0 and we were on top of the world. <laughs> you know, nothing could nothing could break us down. Nothing could, you know, shift us from this really special feeling that I got on Thursday night. And throughout the rest of the week as well, when I was watching that McAllister penalty back, I was saying to my dad, oh, I'm so excited for today as in Monday's match. You know, I can't wait to see our lads again. Can't wait. You know, this is such a special season. And and it still remains. This season is still unbelievably special. This is a massive, massive, massive blip. And possibly, people might not agree with me saying it's possibly a blessing in disguise going into one of the craziest run-ins possible. You know, De Zerbi spoke so, so, so much after the game about the mentality of the players. It's, it's not there. The mentality is not there. It's not right. They don't have the mentality to be playing three games a week, two games a week. Is that harsh of him to come out and say that? No. <laughs> is it refreshing to see a coach saying that when we've had... Yes, man, Graham Potter all along. Um, and now we've got a man that's, you know, being unbelievably brutally honest in front of the press and saying, look, it, it was not good enough from the first moment all the way to the last. Even even the tiny, tiny, tiny little glimpses we had of the Brighton we know. Um, yeah, just completely outfought, completely outmuscled. And De Zerbi was completely outthought uh, by um, Sean Dyche. Yeah, and just on the topic of Sean Dyche, it is worth remembering that Sean Dyche has a fantastic record against Brighton under many guises. And beforehand, there was a lot of talk about, um, oh, but this is a new Brighton and this is under a new manager. And whilst that is certainly, you know, very, very true, um, you know, Sean Dyche, he's no, he is, a lot of people like to, you know, meme him and joke about him and say, like, you know, he's this old fossil, this old dinosaur. But the man knows his stuff. You know, the man kept Burnley up on a shoestring budget. Um, they did, they got into Europe, I believe, under Sean Dyche as well. So, you know, this man knows how to play football and the way he set up his Everton side yesterday uh, w- was commendable. Um, yes, we were very poor, 
But that, you know, that doesn't stop the fact that Everton were just clinical in attack. One of the most clinical sides I think we've played against this season. It seemed, what, they had six attacks and they scored five goals. You know, it's, you know, there's no slouches. And yes, I know this, the stats I shared before I spoke to you, Joe, there, you know, without a loss, without a win, sorry, in, in seven games, only one away win this season um, and the lowest scorers in the Premier League. It was almost written in the stars, Dagan, that it would be Brighton that uh, helped them along the way as they 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 climbed out of the relegation zone because that's the context of Everton, Dagan, isn't it? This team are fighting to stay in the Premier League, and you know we were talking before we came on air about these freak results that at this time of the season they can really shock you because there are a lot of teams fighting for a lot of things, and yeah, we're fine for Europe, but these two guys are fighting to survive. What did you make of you know Everton's fighting spirit? Well, it was it was immense. It was it was buoyed by an early lead, um, and all the credit in the world that we're giving to Sean Dyche and to Everton, and I think they earned it. We 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 gave them a one 0 lead. It was it was abysmal defending. Once we gave the ball away, it wasn't a break where they were up in numbers. It was two on two. Uh, Decore was completely unmarked. Webster, I, I don't know what Webster was doing, um, but Dunk sort of charged ahead. You know, got a little off balance, got beat, and then it became a you know, relatively a two on one. Though Caicedo was in pursuit, um, and I think was going to make the the sh- initial shot difficult. So the cross came in, but being Webster was just nowhere to be found. I think he was trying to defend the far post from the initial shot potentially. Um, but yeah, I thought that was poor. And yeah, I've looked at these numbers. I think it's like a twelve or thirteen percent chance of of winning once you're down a goal. The team that scores first wins or draws like 88% of the time. Um, so all the game planning, all the other stuff that happened after that started there in that moment. And I think that's indicative of the whole season. You know, things can go sideways by just switching off for a second. And I think that the rest of the context of this game for me, as I thought about it, lives in that. Um, but I think you're right. From that moment on, Everton, one, had a great game plan and two, had a lot more confidence. And when they did get those turnovers, which were almost inevitable. And Joe, to your point, right, the big, tall backline defenders made it hard to put it over the top. But having, you know, everybody behind the ball, the usual passing lanes that we typically find were not there. Most of our creation that seemed effective came by way of, you know, March when he came in, really sort of, you know, cutting through the defense with the ball on his feet. Um, And Matoma had some success, I think, in that as well. Um, and perhaps we could have seen a little more from Enciso out wide. I was hopeful that we would see Enciso out wide. Um, internally, he just had a little less room to operate. Um, but yeah, I mean, Everton, once they did see, oh, we can score, all of a sudden, anytime they got possession, you know, you got four guys rushing forward at breakneck speed. And and they, you know, took their chances and uh, it worked. Yeah, credit, they, they, credit they did. yeah, and you're right, Digging this 100% credit to them because. You know, they were they were fantastic. And Joe, I suppose this is the flip side of Deserby Ball because we know how dangerous and damaging it can be to the opposition when it is working and it's 100%. But when players aren't up to it, and that could be for a multitude of reasons, that could be because of fatigue, it could be, uh, you know, mental fatigue, physical fatigue. I think in the post-game, Deserby said that the, the players hadn't come down from the game against Manchester United. Um we were really poor in possession, really, really poor in possession. And that's how almost every single goal they scored 
you know, came about. So let's sort of like, as you say, Joe, we're not going to go through it bit by bit and unpick each each goal because I think the overall theme behind pretty much every single goal they scored was Brighton pour forward, give the ball away cheaply, and don't really track back as Everton, as Dagan says, you know, bomb down the pitch. Um, and it happened, you know, five or six times and it, they scored five goals from that. Um, as I say, is this the flip side of Deserby ball? If someone is off or a, a couple of people are off by five, ten percent, it all just falls apart. Yeah, we, we knew. We've said it all along since Deserby's come in. It's high risk, high reward football. Um, and I'm just thinking the whole time, like people are going to absolutely bat the players after this. People are going to bat Deserby's um, tactical um, choices, this, that, and the other. Um, but you have to sort of think that sometimes this 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 will happen, and and when it does happen, it's a huge learning curve for the players, and and that hopefully it won't happen quite this extremely ever again. Um, if if we are playing. Um, a team that that are fighting relegation. I fully expect it to happen if we're playing Man City or something like that, because you know you you know full well the quality they have and the quality they pose to to just annihilate you when they they want to. Um, but I also think it proves our uh, de- uh, strength in depth is not there at all, um, and that has to be improved if we want to achieve the big things and, and that's what Roberto De Zerbi has been saying for the last few weeks with this fixture congestion is you know do like I, I sort of read between the lines he's sort of asking do we have the squad to do this we want to achieve big things but can we um, Joe can I just jump in really quickly and ask mm-hmm. you a quick question which position Joe do you think is at most need of strengthening right a hundred percent right back um you know we've got Tarek Lamptey who um you know hasn't seen nearly enough football this season due to injury whatever reasons um as well when he has been fit um Veltman who can play center back or right back um and he's had a few uh sort of fitness issues as well especially towards the latter part of this season uh as much as we love Pascal Gross, he he can play well there when when we're in control of the game. He does unbelievably well there, and it's great to see. Um, but when you're playing Everton and they've scored after the first minute, and then you're chasing the game, you you don't really want Pascal there. You want him further up the pitch, and you want him creating chances. Um, so it goes back to a point that I saw on Twitter that you know if you're chasing a game. Um, and Pascal's at right back. Yeah, I, I would probably say he is wasted there um, because it's you know it's so clear to see what he gives us um, going forwards. And then you've got the talk of can Moises play there? Yeah, but then you, you're losing one of the best midfielders the football club's ever seen um, and one of the best young talents in the Premier League by a long stretch. Um, so, you know... There's so many more areas that we can talk about. Um, you know, like example, if Matoma's not firing, Solly March isn't in the best place uh, fitness-wise. Suddenly, we've lost our firepower. Jeremy Sarmiento's out for the rest of the season and has been out for a long period of time. 
can you put the pressure on in CISO and, and for Kondo Bonanote to perform at a high level week in, week out in the Premier League at, at such a young age when they've, you know, they've only been here for what, six months? I think it's unfair. Um so it's it's good to see that the club have obviously brought in Jao Pedro. We welcomed him to the Amex um yesterday at halftime. Um, sorry, Jao. <laughs> um, and, you know, look, looking at James Milner for that experience and you know, we're, we're missing so, so many players at the moment. I, I, I just wonder how these last few games would have gone had we have had the likes of Adam Lallana um, in, in the squad, um, Evan Ferguson in the squad, you know, just, just to, I'm not comparing Evan Ferguson's experience to Lallana's at all, but in terms of his quality, um, I think against United, we would have finished more chances, definitely. If he played Wolves, he would have feasted big time. Um, and yesterday, when he came on, as you say, Dagan, it looked like he'd been shot out of a cannon, um, to, to repeat what you said. And as soon as he came on, I'm like, geez, that is what we've been missing. And, and, and at that moment, it was evident that he is streets ahead of Welbeck and Undav. And I'm not going to sit here and slate Undav and Welbeck because I think they're great players at what they do. Um, and I'm really happy for Undav that he's getting more minutes. Um, but it is so clear to see how far ahead Evan Ferguson is. Um, and if, if he's fit now, he has to start. He, he just has to. A lot of people say, don't put pressure on him this, this early. But he is so, so, so good. And we miss him big time. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about the second half then, Dagan, because the first half, I think we can all agree, was slow. It was devoid of of that sort of, that need to get back into the game, I, I, I thought, watching that um you know, on the TV. Um, so let's talk about the second half because credit to Deserby, he made four changes at halftime uh, and big ones as well, uh, bringing Undav, Welbeck, Buenanote and Webster off. I thought, um, you know, just really touching on Buenanote um, because he's going to be important to what I'm about to say is I thought Buenanote didn't do as much as a winger should do. And I think that's because he's not a winger. He's very much a number 10 um, sitting in behind that strike or is sort of just in front of two holding midfielders. And it was really evident that when Solly March came on, the whole, and, and Evan Ferguson as well, but I think Solly March and Evan Ferguson, they changed the dynamic of the game so, so much. And we looked much better, Dagan. But was it too little, too late? I don't think so. I mean, we had enough good chances. And, you know, if you look at XG, we, we had more of it. Um, we had enough good chances to even the game. We, we didn't convert them, you know, but two or three off the, off the bar of the post. Um, another couple of great saves by Pickford. Uh, we easily could have had five or six goals from that game. And I think if we get a couple earlier, we probably aren't quite as spread out. Certainly don't give away that, that fifth final one. I feel like that's sort of a, an afterthought. Right. Um, so, I mean, I think if you think we needed five goals, to get a win. I think there really could have been five goals in that half as insane as that sounds. Um, but it's really not when you look at what we did against wolves. Uh, we looked like the same team that played the wolves game in the second half. The chances just didn't go in. Uh, but the chance, the quality of the chances we created, I thought was comparable. 
Yeah, that's fair. And it is worth saying, you know, Jordan Pickford, he did make some pretty astounding saves uh, in the second half. But Joe, again, you know, it took, what, 60 minutes for us to make, to draw Pickford into a save. Um, what did you make of the second half performance? Um, uh, just really frustrating because when they come out firing and Solly March has come on and Evan Ferguson's come on and CISO, I thought, went for, for a brief period, looked really, really lively. I'm thinking, gosh, just imagine if we'd started the game like this. That's what really, really irritates me is when you're 3-0 down and suddenly the players are like, oh, shit, we better play. Like, oh gosh, we're 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 heavily losing this game. It's like, yeah, you should have that. The, the first goal should have been that wake up call for you to just start giving a bit more intensity. And you know, I, I don't want to single people out too much, but I think I have to say this because I was so frustrated watching it, and I get that he's a really young player and has a lot to learn. Uh, but you made the point about Facundo Bonanotte. As soon as Everton scored their third goal, he stopped running. And Deserby would have been fuming with that. There was a moment um, where he was sort of breaking against uh, Milenkovic, I think their, their left back is called. Um, the ball runs slightly over and he just gives up, just gives up the chase. And that just set the tone for me anyway, watching in the stadium for the rest of the game. I, I just knew that they'd given up. And I, at half time, I was screaming. For there to there was four changes at half time, and I was like, "Yeah, good." I I was wondering what the hell was going on in that dressing room at half time because it it would have been I you know I would have killed to be a fly on the wall. I, I can't imagine what was being said, and we'll talk about after the game um, in terms of the uh, post match press conferences being delayed because of how long they were in there, um, but. Yeah, just going back to my initial point, it really frustrates me when the players suddenly think, gosh, we've got a game to chase here. Because where was that urgency? Where, where I'm not saying they don't care, because obviously they do. You know, we're fighting for Europe. We're fighting for the, the biggest thing this club's ever fought for. Um, and yeah, it's just really, really frustrating when you see them just suddenly change that mentality. Should be that from the start. Yeah, it shouldn't take going, you know, 3-0 down to start playing football. Um, to compound matters, Dagan, I mean, the goals are bad enough, but I think actually the worst part of the night came in the second half. Solly March gave the ball away um, and Everton broke. And as Solly March tracked back, he pulled up um, with a pulled hamstring, we can assume. Um, to me, that's worse than uh, the amount of goals conceded because losing Solly March for the rest of the season, um, well, that's uh, that's not what we need considering how close we are to achieving our target. Um, and how bad do you feel for Solly? It's devastating. Um, that did not look like an injury that would allow him to play going forward. I, I would be really, really surprised if he comes back. Um, just sort of the dramatic nature of the way he pulled up it was it was very clear that something had gone wrong. Um, yeah, it's it's devastating, uh, and those injuries linger. So you can only hope that he makes a full recovery in in the off season. And it's not. I haven't heard any news, um, whether it's a pull or a tear. Um, yeah, hope for the best. But it it's devastating 
certainly for him, potentially for our chances. Um, perhaps it works in our favor that some of these guys have been given moments already to play um, in the last few games, Bonanate and Enciso uh, becoming more in- integral part of our efforts. Yeah, I mean, to the point about Bonanate, I, I think he's young. He's young and, and new to this level. Um, and I think, you know, he's a world-class talent with the ball on his feet. And I think the other, the other part hopefully will come. Um, but yeah, he, he was not, and I think he's more quick than fast just, just to look at him. Um, so situations where he's being asked to sprint back, you know, to help, um, on the wing, uh, where you see Matoma really excel in that area in winning the ball back. I think that's not his forte. And again, probably why he's not a winger. Um, right. He's, he's playing the 10. He's not necessarily winning the ball more than just applying direct pressure, um, which not to get ahead of ourselves, but thinking towards next year and what Ferguson and Pedro and Enciso and Matoma in March could look like potentially all in the field at the same time is blowing my mind right now. I had that thought literally as you guys were talking. Um, Move on. It's it's a nice thought to have, and it's a uh, you know the the next season is go- is going to be exciting, and it will be made more exciting if we do make Europe. But more on that in, in just a little while, because I suppose we can't we can't um, not talk about the fact that we did eventually score Joe, um, but again too little too late. Um, Alexis McAllister scoring uh, takes his total to the season, I believe, to ten. Um, which means he's only the third Brighton player in the Premier League era to hit double digits. Uh, what did you make of uh, Alexis McAllister's rather fortuitous goal? Um, I I actually can't remember it. I, I said I watched the highlights, um, but I think they've just gone out of my mind completely, Tom. And when we scored the goal, everyone around me was celebrating. I was sat in my chair like a grumpy old man, like not giving a crap. Because what what does it mean when you score at four uh, four nil down? Um, I mean, you know, it's it's on a personal level for Alexis, great for him to get one added to to the tally. Um, hopefully, he can finish strong in the last what five games we have left, and and add add a few more to that, and maybe even get up to fifteen. Um, that'd be nice. Um, but yeah, it's. It comes comes at a cost that goal uh, because obviously the the circumstances that that surrounded it um, and like just just trying to remember it now did it it literally just hit him didn't it I don't think he knew much yeah, about it, it. it it hit him and they went to VAR to check um, for a handball I believe um, yeah it was it was a scruffy goal it wasn't uh, mm. anything majestic that's the only way we were going to score to be honest. It, it was just like every single chance that just sort of fell by the wayside. You're thinking it's just not our night. That the, the the Sussex rain was falling. It was like this fine, like really fine rain that gets you like incredibly like soaked within seconds. Fine rain that soaks you through. Exactly, and um, and it was like, oh, this is just so depressing. <laughs> Yeah, it was. It's bringing Brighton fans down to earth with a very unfriendly bump. Um, So one of the big things, Dagan, that Joe mentioned previously already was after the full-time whistle. 
um, and that, that Roberto De Zerbi and the players didn't emerge from the dressing room for a good 30, 35, 40 minutes. Um, you know, some pretty big inquest must have been going on in there. Um, what do you think De Zerbi was, was saying to the players? Do you think he was giving them a telling off or do you think he was very much, much more of a, you know, calm, understanding sort of figure in that dressing room? I would expect he was fairly balanced um, in his approach. I, I I would think he had their ears, obviously, <laughs> given, you know, taking your battering like that, you're, you're going to be open to criticism. And I'm sure he levied it where he felt like it was necessary and he could. But I also think, you know, his point, maybe they were a bit too high, right? After Man United hadn't come down from that, from that victory, um, feeling invincible going into this game, perhaps. Uh, I think similarly, you know, you don't want your team to just be like all is lost, right? Because it's not. Um, we've just got to get some results going forward. And I think, you know, touching on how to do that is probably what he spent his time doing. Um, I'm sure there was, I'm sure some moments were allowed for some of the veterans to speak, um, especially if you felt like Joe, as you noted, you know, some of the younger guys maybe, you know, gave up a little too soon or a little too easily. Um, you know, these games have greater meaning for guys like Dunk and Sally March who may not get, you know, as many chances um, over their remaining career as, you know, some of these guys that are joining us and either they imagine they're going to have Champions League victories with us or or with some other bigger team in the future. Um, so I think taking a moment perhaps to explain the gravity of, you know, we only have a few more of these chances. We can't give any more away um, would be would be something that'd be in my mind. Uh, the other pieces, just reflecting on y'all's comments earlier, we, we didn't really get to play Deserby ball in this game after the first 34 seconds. And I just want to return to that point, right? They, they never came on to us and that really is Deserby ball, right? You're in possession deep in your own territory and the risk of the other team scoring quickly is usually associated with that, right? A giveaway deep in your own end. That's not at all how they scored. Um, we were not allowed to draw them onto us because they had a lead the entire game. Um, and so that, as I processed through the game, I almost thought, you know, what could we have done differently? We didn't have one. They had so little of the ball. We had no opportunities really to press them deep in the back. Um, and similarly, we couldn't invite their press. And so I don't, I don't know if, you know, that occurred to Deserby that we didn't really get to play our game because we gave away this cheap goal early. Um, but perhaps, you know, it does reinforce the football that they play as much as, as anything. I, I, I don't see this as a Deserby ball loss. Um, to me, it showed you what can happen, the weakness of Deserby ball when you're down a goal um, and the importance of us scoring first to be able to really draw the other team onto us even more. Yeah, exactly. And Brighton actually have a really good record this season, especially under Deserby of scoring first. Um, and that's probably why we've seen such a, a good spate of results. Now, um, not to prolong the misery even further, but Joe, you wanted to to share some thoughts about um, like the post-game, not I don't want to use the word meltdown, but meltdown, um, the, the post-match feelings uh, by a lot of the fans. Now, before you do that, Joe, I'm just going to read something out because our, our friends at Dogma uh, shared this on Twitter. Um, and I just want to read it because I think it's um, really astute uh, and uh, worthy comment. And it says, the emotional impact of football can cloud objective thought. But if there's one thing we could, we can and should believe in, it's Tony Bloom. 
The machine is too strong and the project. Tony Bloom's Brighton and Hove Albion is too righteous to fail. So before you say what you say, Joe, I just wanted to read that out because I think that's really fantastic, especially that first line, the emotional impact of football can cloud objective thought. For many, Joe, the, the performances against Everton and Nottingham Forest have been a real sort of blow to their belief, uh, you know, in in the club. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on this sort of the reactions we we can see and we are seeing after these games? Uh, so... I am guilty of being reactionary uh, after the Forest game. We all know that. We all saw the group chat. I know. Um, and I, I understand that football is a very emotional thing. I understand that it can change an unbelievably good mood because on Friday night, on Saturday, Sunday, I was in the best mood possible. Anyone that saw me on those days can vouch for that because of what we just witnessed against Man United. And this is football where, you know, games are coming thick and fast. Um, results are, are going to just sway how you feel mentally. And I tweeted after the game, I said, I care about football as much as the next person. But resorting to abusing players, abusing one another, belittling each other and allowing it to affect everything else that's going around on, on around you in, in your daily life as well. Because I've got no doubt that people's actual daily lives have been affected by the fact that we lost 5-1 to Everton. I, I know that I've been in a crap mood for the last 24 hours. Um, and I, I said on my tweet, as much as we love football, it's, it's not that deep. We've got another game this Sunday um, and we've got to put it right. Yeah, it's against Arsenal. Yeah, we've got to play Man City. Yeah, we've got to play Newcastle. But we've had unbelievable re results in the Premier League. We've had unbelievable days. We've got unbelievable memories. Um, and we've got five huge games to go to achieve arguably the best thing this club's ever achieved. The best thing this club's ever achieved is staying alive. As noted behind you, Tom, with your, your shirts that you're wearing today, you've always got a theme and I love the theme today. And you've told me it. Um, a lot of people don't like it when people say this, but I think it's important. It could be worse. Um, but it's not. We, we lost 5-1 to Everton, yeah. Fighting for their lives. But just, I, I, I say this all the time, just be kind to each other. How hard is that? How hard is it to just, if you don't agree with someone, scroll past it rather than calling them clueless or, oh, you've got a lack of ball knowledge. You've got a lack of this. You've got a lack of that. You don't understand. <sighs> yeah. I don't want to pr prolong the, the point too much, um, but it's just, it's not that deep. We lost the game of football. Move on. Yeah. I mean, I thought this game would be 4-1 to us. That was my call. 4-1. I was wrong. When the lineup came out for Wolves, I I wouldn't venture there were even 10% of those who were bold enough to speak about it who spoke positively of that lineup when it came out. Right? Like, people get it wrong <laughs> way more often, it seems, than they get it 100% right, for sure. 
Um, the reality is we lost. We lost. Fair and square, we lost, which for me is a lot easier to take than some of the losses we've had this year. Um, we watched this weekend Villa lose to that same Wolf team that we throttled. We watched United lose to West Ham, uh, albeit 1-0. to zero, But nonetheless, it's they come away with zero points. Their opponent comes away with three. It's the same as our game. The only thing maybe we lost by losing by, by four goals is a little bit of goal differential position, but only so much so that it takes us away from being in a battle with Liverpool. And I, I think that ship has sailed. I don't think we were catching them to begin with, with the games they have left to play. Um, all likely wins. Uh, so it just doesn't do any, do any, do any good to point to all the things that you've ever harbored as a suspicion for why the system was flawed or why things were going to go wrong or, Things are never going to go right for Brighton. But I think people are always looking for that moment to be able to say, see, I told you so. It's it's not going to work. Um, mm. And, you know, whether that's the lineup in the Wolves game that ended up not being it or this game where hindsight being 2020, you can look at it and say, see, I told you so. We don't have the depth or we don't have this or we're not ready for Europe. The and thing they, that really frustrates me, Tom, just before and I want to ask you a question is why do people feel right? So, Bonanza has a bad game, Inciso has a bad game, uh, Undav has a bad game. One game, they're bloody amazing, they're this, they're that, oh my god, they're the next this, they're the next that, oh wow, what a player we found. To when we lose, yes, we lost heavily, oh, they should never play for our club again. Sell this person, sell that person. Why? 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 Because <laughs> people are fickle. People are fickle, it's that simple. Um you know, it's one of those things, and that's what you know. What Dagan said at the, the top of the show is so important. You don't get too high after a win, and you don't get too low after a loss. Um, the game where it was over for me when Jordan Pickford swapped the ends. That was it. We never, we never play well when we face the North Stand in the first half. We never play well against Sean Dyche. You know, I mean, it's it your fault, gonna... Jordan. Yeah, it's, it's your fault. Are you, are you watching? Are you watching this, Jordan? You know, I don't want to go into you know we've already dissected it, but for me, it was a bad day at the office, a really bad day at the office. But we've had far worse, and it's still in our hands. We still have the position, we still have games in hand, and yes, they are tough. But you know what? I'm probably in the minority that thinks our games in hand against Arsenal, Newcastle, and Villa, to a lesser extent, Man City, are actually more favourable than our games against the likes of Everton because we play better against sides that want to play football. We play better against the big teams or the teams that are normally at the top of the table. And we always have done. We've always struggled against teams that are down the foot of the table that are fighting for their lives. You know, this season, Bournemouth, Nottingham Forest, um, not not Fulham, but it's that same low block, low block, low block, low block. We don't play well. We don't play well against those teams. We didn't under Potter. We've struggled under De Zerbi as well. Arsenal won't sit down on a low block. Neither will Newcastle. Neither will City. Southampton probably will. Um, and Villa probably will as well because they've got the pace in the counter-attack. But I'm actually not as disheartened by it as, um, you know, as many others because I still feel like those games, there's something to be had out of them. No matter... How, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying we're going to win. I'm not saying they're not going to be hard. Beating Arsenal and Man City is going to be one hell of an ask. Beating Newcastle is going to be a hell of an ask. It is going to be tough, but I have more faith that we'll get a result than 
against Arsenal than I do against Southampton. Let's put it that way. Um, so let's look ahead then, because I've I, I've done I've done the maths because our running goes like this: we play Arsenal next, we play Newcastle after that, both away games. Then we play Southampton at home, Manchester City at home, and then Villa away. Now I'm going to roll off some maths for you because I'm looking at these and I'm thinking Villa are our biggest rivals to finish in the European spaces, and if we can best Villa then we're fundamentally we're in Europe regardless and it just depends on whether we play Europa League or conference um so I've done the maths okay bang on my we've got two games in hand on Villa and a vastly superior goal difference if Villa lose both of their games before they play us because they've got three Spurs Liverpool then us um if they lose both of those uh, then we only need two more points to secure European football and that's before the final day so we would go into the final day against Aston Villa knowing 100% that we have got European football regardless. If Villa win one, lose one, we need five points. If Villa win one, draw one, we need six points. And if Villa win both, we need eight points. And all that pointage is for us to basically finish the end of the season level on points with Villa. Because even if Villa got the maximum amount of points... If we landed on the same points total as they have, we've got a, such a better goal difference and they're not going to overturn it. So eight points is the magic number. And I'm looking at those those that run in Arsenal, Newcastle, Southampton, City and Villa. And I'm thinking there are definitely eight points to be had there. Going to be hard, It's going to be a hard ask, don't get me wrong, but we could do it. There's no reason to think we can't. What have we seen this season that makes us think we can't get points away um, at any of those any of those games? So that's where I I sit. So Joe, let's talk about Arsenal then. Going to be a tough game. We're going to the Emirates. They are fighting for the title. They are going to want to win. No sitting back for Arsenal. They are going to take the game to us. Is it a game that we could win if we are on the ball 100%? Um, I will probably look like an idiot saying this once we've actually played the game against Arsenal, but I think at this current moment, they're probably going to play us at the wrong time. We're going to want a massive, massive response from this. De is going to want a huge response from this. And we know what a De response looks like. We've seen it countless numbers this season. Charlton, we go and win heavily. Uh, sorry, against Southampton. Uh, that was emphatic away performance. Um, against United, yeah, I know we went to, um, uh, you know, uh, Forest and lost there. But then the reaction after that, ridiculous. 6-0 against Wolves. Again, who are really not a poor team, as you pointed out, Dagan. They beat Aston Villa 1-0. Um, and then we go and beat Manchester United in the most dramatic way. I said after that game, the perfect, perfect response to what we'd witnessed at Wembley and, and at the City Ground. You couldn't have written a better response. Um, so we're very, very well versed in writing good responses. Um, and let's hope that the best response is written for, for Sunday. Yeah, let's hope so. Dagan, do you share that optimism? Does Erby said after the game that against Arsenal, we will see the real Brighton. I do share that optimism. I mean, the team that scores first is probably going to win. 
that's that's the bottom line. That's that's not earth shattering to say that out loud, as I said earlier. But uh, I do think the the talk at Arsenal of them bottling the title, which I don't really buy into, but I do think that stadium could turn very quickly um, if if we can score and uh, we have a great ability to score. I think we will see a lineup uh, with a great capacity to score. And uh, that's what I hope we see. So I, I like, I like us three, two in a high scoring affair. I think it would be hard to keep Arsenal from scoring, um, but I'm going to call three, two to the Albion. You didn't ask for a prediction, but I'm giving one. I like it though. I like it. Joe, bef- um, I want to ask you about some changes. Um, and I also want to ask you who starts at right back. Um, so the changes I want to ask you are this. Uh, some fans have been calling for Robert Sanchez to be brought back in for uh, number one. Uh, and then my second question, as I say, was uh, who do you start at right back? You. You're starting at right back. Get your boots. Get to the Emirates. Uh, we'll see you there. Um, in terms of Sanchez, maybe. I mean, Jason Stills just conceded five goals. You could argue a little bit about the the own goal, whether that was you know, I no, I'm not gonna sit here and, and and you know pick it apart because it was a calamitous game throughout the, the whole squad. Um but if you can see five goals as a goalkeeper, yes, you are in jeopardy of losing your position position. And I would not be surprised if we saw Robert Sanchez purely for a rotation confidence sort of thing. Whether you drop still, does that batter his confidence? Maybe not. Maybe makes him hungrier. I don't know. But yes, there is cause for Sanchez to come back in. Um, And at right back, um, it's really difficult. Do you play Moises there and have Billy Gilmore come back in the side? Against Arsenal, I would probably say, yeah, play Moises there. Because they've got... You know, I, I've I've got full faith in Purvis Stupinian that he can um, deal with with Saka. Do I have full faith in Pascal Gross that he can deal with Martinelli or Leandro Trossard? Probably not. Moises Caicedo, yeah. And then you've got Alexis and Billy Gilmore to play in the centre. So, young, yeah, I'm, I'm going to make a wild bold call and say Moises starts there on on Sunday. Um, and I don't think we lose much of Moises if he plays there because he's still that hard tackler. He's still that incredible athletic runner that's going to cover so many areas of the pitch, just like we see Pas- uh, Pascal Gross do um, when, when he plays at right back. But, you know, with, with all the greatest respects to Pascal, he's not anywhere near the athleticism as um, Moises Caicedo. So, yeah, that that's probably what I would do. But I am not Roberto De Zerbi. I, I wish I was, but I'm not. <laughs> it would be nice to have his paycheck. I think, no, I do, I agree. Um, Kaiseido played very well uh, again, at right back against Marcus Rashford, um, who we know has got pace for days. Um, I think I can only recall one time that Rashford got the better of Kaiseido in terms of just pace. So, and the Martinelli is obviously quite pretty quick. Um, so, yeah, I'd be more inclined to start Kaiseido at right back and move Pascal Gross into the 10 role with Gilmore and Ali Mack in, in the middle and CISO out wide one side, Matoma out wide on the other, Ferguson in up top, you know, and I'd probably play Colwell alongside Dunkey at the back with a Stupinian on the left. 
Um, that's been my starting eleven, uh, and I'll also yeah, I'd bring back Sanchez as well, just just for as you say, freshen things up. Uh, any sweeping changes you'd make, Dagan? So, I would I would say we can't take Caicedo out of the midfield for this game, and my thought on that is, I think the only way to beat Arsenal is to boss them in the midfield. Um, they're so so talented there, um, and I, I just as much of a threat as that wing is, I'd be tempted to, to maybe even, I mean, if Veltman's healthy, I would say Veltman without a doubt at right back. If he's not, maybe, maybe a Webster or even a Van Hecka at right back with, with Colwell and Dunk at center back. Um, and that's a little bit of an oddball choice, but I mean, Webster certainly has the ball skills. Um, and you know, I don't know that we've seen him run at top speed. I'm not even sure I know what that looks like. Uh, but Van Hecke looked fast when we've seen him play. Um, I don't know if that would be outside of his comfort zone or if his ball playing would be strong enough. But I, I would not want Caicedo out of the midfield in this game of all games. Um, just my two yeah. cents. No, it's, it's very fair. And Adam Webster, I think, did he play it right back for a brief spell against, was he it Wolves or Man And he looked like he was having the time of his life. Because yeah. I'm going on an adventure. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, that's what he's like. Adam Webster loves to have the ball at his feet and just run. That is what is one of his main strengths as a as a centre back is. And um, you know, so yeah, why not? Why not play Webster at right back? I'm sure someone in the comments will let us know why we shouldn't play Webster at right back. Um, but no, um, in all seriousness, no, it, it, with all the injuries we have, um, and obviously, as we say, the burnout that we could be fast approaching it is going to be a really interesting uh 11 that deserve puts out tom who do you like at right wing with Sally out i would put in CISO um and matoma out wide because i just don't think i know that um i know that uh roberto deserve likes to have those inverted wingers playing a left a left footer on the right right foot on the left um and i don't actually know what foot in CISO is um i think he's right but um yeah i think you've got to play in CISO and matoma out wide um, you could always get them to swap wings part way through. Um, but I wouldn't play Bonanotta there. I just don't think he offers enough going forward or going back, um, especially against Arsenal, where you're going to need to double up against certain players at times. So, yeah, it's um, it's going to be a really interesting eleven um, that Deserby puts out. Go on, Joe. I just want to make a point about Nciso. And whilst this podcast has been very negative, I want to just pinpoint how much of a change he's been since we first saw him to now. Um, it, even like physically looking at him, he looks bigger. He looks like he's really, really got to work in the gym and thought, you know, I I, I need to to be big enough to, to battle in terms of defensively. Because I think that's probably one thing that De Zerbi is is really screamed into him, that when you lose the ball, you don't sit there and and, and have a moan about it you try and win it back. And I thought he'd done that wonderfully well yesterday when, when he came on. Um, and I think he's, he's been that and he was that against United. Um, and he was unbelievably lively against Wolves as well. And um, it's just really good to see how much he's changed in such a little time. And I think next season we could see an, um, like a really, really, really finished article of a player. 
um, and playing alongside the likes of Ferguson, Jal Pedro and Matoma, as you, as you rightly say, Dagan, it, it's hopefully going to be a force to be reckoned with and deserve his first full preseason. And if we're looking ahead um, that far, um, it's, you know, really, really exciting times. And let's hope that we get our goal this season. But let's just remember that next season will be just as good. Yeah, it will. And add Simon Odingra to that list as well, Joe, because I think he finished the regular season over in Belgium as their top scorer. Um, Abdullah Seema yeah. also got a goal this weekend. Well, there you go. So the future does look bright, but we're still very much focused on this season because there's still five games left to be played and it is still in our hands, Albion faithful. Keep the faith. We can still do this. Let us know in the comments section down below what were your thoughts against Everton. Keep them as brief as you like. Also, let us know who you'd play against Arsenal. What would your starting eleven be with our very injury-ravaged side and also very tired side? A lot of tired legs out there at the moment. But we need to roll those lads across the finish line because this is going to be the best season in our history, regardless of what happens but we've just got to get those boys across the finish line. Thank you to Joe and Dagan for joining me this evening. Do not forget to like, share and subscribe to more if you haven't done so already. Wherever you may be, whenever you may be, keep smiling because it could always be worse. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Take care.